Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you so much for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. If you listen to this show regularly, you've heard me say it lots of times. I started this podcast because it was a way for me and thus all of you to have access to some really smart people because one thing I've learned, success leaves clues. So when you get around people who have done interesting things, who are successful, they can't help it. They have to give you a nugget, an idea, a theory, a little tidbit that you can take and work into your own life. And so that's why I started this show. I thought I was going to do about 50 episodes. We are now closing in on 500 episodes. And uh, I think today is going to be one of those ones where we're going to have a lot of fun because I have a professional comedian on the show. Now, he's not the first professional comic I've had on the show. I interviewed somebody five years ago who was like a friend of a friend and it was a cool episode. And I thought, I've got to do this more often. But then life takes you in your own path. And all of a sudden, I'm doing stand-up comedy. I'm going to open mic nights every week. I've now done uh, 60 plus, almost 70 open mic nights. I've been invited to be a featured comic in three local shows. I was even paid for two of those. So between you and me, I think I'm a professional comic. (laughs) No doubt. Yeah. They only gave me 10 bucks, but whatever. I was paid. And uh, so today we have Rick Roberts. Now, Rick is somebody who I don't really know. I don't know if we've ever met or talked in the past, but he's somebody who for about the last five or six years, I've sort of seen. He's a member of the National Speakers Association. So he speaks and emcees conferences like I do, but that's really only a small part of his business. About 80% or something like that of of his income actually comes from being a touring stand-up comic. And a couple things I admire about him is he is a Christian comic and he is a clean comic. And so you're not going to hear... Uh, some of the stuff that you hear in uh, local bars uh, coming out of Rick's mouth. And I want to talk to him a little bit about how you build a career uh, doing that because I think it's uh, uh, doable, but probably a little tricky and a little a little interesting to do. But anyway, I admire the fact that he's out there really doing this. And now that I've put my foot into his world, I'm seeing a lot of similarities. I'm learning more about the speaker world and how to be a better speaker from trying at least comedy, but even more so I think there's a lot of things that all of us in any business can learn from stand-up comics because I think it's it's one of the hardest businesses you can get into. It is certainly the hardest use of the spoken word. And I think that in order to make it, you have to have stick to You have to be willing to try new things. You have to have a thick skin when nobody laughs or you bomb. There are so many layers that all of us as business people can learn that I've been wanting to have Rick on the show for a long time and then accidentally our paths crossed a couple of times online. He invited me to be on his podcast, The School of Laughs, which I've been listening to for like for like a long time since I've been in the comedy world. And uh, I immediately said, well, I'm only going to do your show if you're going to be on my podcast. And he said, well, I'm really busy and I'm, you know, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a big deal. No, he didn't say that. He said absolutely he would be on here. So uh, Rick Roberts, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Hey, Tom, I'm looking forward to it. And I've listened to several episodes too. I, you know, it's funny. I think the last time I, I downloaded a batch of uh, your podcast with others is, oh gosh, it's maybe a month or two ago. And one of the guys I listened to um, was a mutual friend of ours from the Speakers Association. And then I started listening to a few more. 
So I enjoy your podcast. Looking forward to being on it and love to talk about comedy. So I, I, I told you earlier, we can get as granular as you want, molecular <laughs> even, or we can go big scale. But I, I've been doing it since 1992. So I, I'm like that State Farm or whatever commercial, Farmers Bureau's insurance. I've been around, seen a few things or two. <laughs> seen you know? a few so things. Let's dig in. Well, yeah. I, I, I do want to dig in. I want to go back. You've been doing it since 1992. How old were you at that time? 22. All right, so we're about the same age, give or take. And I, you know, wish, I always wanted to do comedy. I always wanted to maybe be like a television actor too. I never tried it. I never did anything when I was 20 or 22, when I should have gone and tried it. And even just the open mic night circle, there was no reason looking back, I didn't do it other than just plain old fear. And, and uh, you know, I was afraid I'd suck. But uh, what led you to actually jumping in? Because I, I didn't do it. I waited 25 years. What caused you at 22 to go, I'll, I'll do comedy? Well, you know, life is full of weird intersections. And I'd gotten out of college in West Virginia, a little school up near kind of south of Pittsburgh, northeast of Wheeling. And my plan was to move to Colorado and work for Coors because as, as a college guy, that's all, all I knew about. <laughs> that, would love, be, right? that would be an <laughs> awesome job. That was the goal. Unfortunately, I had enough graduation money to get to Columbus, Ohio, about two hours away. I, I couldn't even make it across the state of Ohio. So I pull into a place, I get an apartment, get a part-time job. And a few weeks into it, I was looking in the, the Sunday section that had all the stuff you can go out and do and see in Columbus, Ohio. And on a page up in the left corner, it said, uh, open stage night, the lobby bar, 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. What I didn't know was on the other side of that page, it says places to go do comedy. All I saw was open stage night. I took my guitar to play a couple of songs. <laughs> and uh, although I played them well, nobody clapped at the end. And you, then when I was walking off stage. You could have been a touring musician if you'd gone to the right open <laughs> mic night. Look what happened. I know. Well, there's a reason I, I'm a comedian, not a, a musician, because uh, the, the skill set drops off pretty quickly after three or four songs. But but I got it, what I walked into, I didn't know, was a comedy contest where the MC didn't even do time. He was just some old guy from a, a cruise ship that was like trying to make some money by running these open mic nights. And he turned this one into a contest. So he went up and said, let's get the show started. Our first performer, Rick Roberts. I never hear the word comedy. I do Bridge Over Troubled Water. Zero response. I do Born to be Wild. No response. I said, what do you guys want to hear? They're like, they used a lot of profanity, but they said something funny. And I played a kind of a funny song I wrote in college, and I walked off stage, and that's when the MC said, did you even know tonight was a comedy night? And I about passed out. The blood rushed out of my body. I turned white as a ghost. <laughs> I didn't even get my guitar case. I just took my guitar and walked straight out the door. <laughs> and a couple guys chased me. It's true. A couple guys chased me down and said, hey, man, you get a free sandwich or a hoagie or a pizza for going on stage. You got Can we have yours if you're leaving? And uh, then they started talking. said, come back in and watch this. It's a bunch of comedians. And so while I was waiting on my sandwich, I, I watched a few comics, and everybody at the beginning had received no votes the previous week. That's why I went first, apparently. So they weren't very good at the beginning, then they got kind of better, and then at the end, it was like guys who had already been on Evening at the Improv and Showtime at the Apollo, and it was like, wow, I didn't know comics had a place they went to practice. I think anybody that hasn't been to an open mic that sees comedians, you just think they're funny people and they get work, but that open mic contest is where people were practicing. So I... I thought, should I come back next week and try it for real? And that middle of the week, I started writing some jokes, went back, and then got involved with an improv group. A year later, I quit my job and have been full-time in comedy since 
late 92, early 93. So that is a great story. I mean, that is that is serendipity. No wonder you're a Christian comic. You had to believe in divine intervention after that. I do. And, and looking back, there were a lot of people that needed saved in there, and I didn't take advantage of <laughs> showing them light because I was, I was in a dark place at the time. But yes, I, I do believe long-term picture that I was, not only was I there for a reason, but those two guys that came out and told me to come back in, I really look at them as somebody that was placed in my life to get me on a path. I think that, I think that's fascinating. So, I, like I said in the intro, I think there's a lot of similarities between the path of a performer, and we'll, we'll use comics in this particular analogy, and business people. So, wh- where do you see the similarities between entrepreneurship and comedy? You know, one thing I was thinking as you were kind of rolling into that in the intro a little bit, whether it's a, a comedian, a speaker, a business person, any of those things, you have to have something to say. Like there's nothing more frustrating as a comedian as, as going to an open mic and the comics are just trying to let the audience decide what is funny. They didn't even take the time to write the joke to lead us to where it's funny. A speaker that meanders around the stage for 20 minutes before they start getting into their takeaway points and you're not even sure what the speech is about drives me nuts. And a business that exists, but you don't know why it's there or who it's serving, also to me is, is a business that doesn't need to exist yet. It needs to find out what it is. And like comedians, maybe some speakers, a lot of musicians and solopreneurs, sometimes we're not good at organization or structure. And that's why we're not working in an environment that has those things. And we default to what can I do just by myself? Oh, I can run my own business or I can be a comedian or I can be a musician, speaker, or whatever it is. So we're, we're starting in a space not because we have the skill set to excel there. It's because we don't have the skill set to excel in structure. And so a lot of new businesses, comedians, speakers across the board, they don't have anything to say. They just know they don't have the other thing that was being said to be part of. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes total sense. I mean, I, I always say on the show, I, I spent 20 or 25 years with my ladder against the wrong wall. I mean, I, I did well in corporate America, but it wasn't where I was supposed to be. And I, and I I wish I had been set on this path a little earlier, whether it was the comedy, which I'm enjoying right now, or whether it was just, you know, 10 years ago, I became a speaker and it was whatever I chose to work for myself was, was the right answer. So last night, I actually was the uh, MC of my first comedy open mic night. And afterwards, I was talking to a few comics, young guys, and it was interesting, though, because they want to do this as a living. That's not what I'm looking to do. I'm not looking to abandon everything and and be a touring comic, but they would like to. They'd like to leave their jobs and be able to make a living doing it. And my answer to them was, then find a way to do it. Nobody ever sat me down when I was 23 years old and said, you don't have to be on this path. You can create, you can take this machete and go through the, the, the jungle over there. And so that's one of the things I try to do when I mentor people or when I'm asked for advice or on this podcast, because I know there's people listening who will never talk to me. Uh, I got an email from a woman the other day who is a professional speaker and she'll be at the National Speakers Association. She's been listening to the show and she said, I'm one of the people who've encouraged her to go for it because I, you know, my answer is it might not work out. Yeah, you could make no money, but it, you know, I, I wish I could go back and say I didn't have to wait till I was 40 or 50 to start doing the things that appealed to me to see if they would work. I should have done it at 23. And so uh, I totally relate with with what you're saying. So if someone's listening to this and they want to be a comedian or they want to be an actress or they want to, you know, make their own line of shoes, what advice do you have for someone who wants to create their own path and go their own way? Yeah, I think there's – 
couple of different pieces of advice based on where they are currently in life. It would be kind of ridiculous for me to tell everybody, just pursue your dreams and go for it. You know, I was lucky enough that when I started, I had no responsibilities, right. less than $450 a month in expenses between apartment, car, student loan, whatever. <laughs> you know, so I was at a place where the risk reward, the, the reward was way greater. The risk was way lower. Now, if you, like I say, you're 50, 51 in that area, not looking to pursue comedy as your sole source of income. Hey, but, but that if, 10 if bucks, was, that 10 bucks for those, each of those shows, that was a big deal. You know what I'm saying? If you, if you look at the hours you put into it, that's, you know, a dollar an hour of thinking of jokes. And <laughs> it's like a penny so, and it, it's, it's like really a penny an hour, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's weird. I, I, the first thing I would say is, is ask why. And if the answer is because I, I, I want to get more attention, then I would ask why again. Why do you need more attention? Maybe because I, I don't feel significance from my peers. Then I would ask why again. Why do you not feel that significant from your peers? And they'd say, oh, because they, they I don't know, they're doing better than I am and they don't respect me. Then I would ask why again. Why don't, why don't you do better? And I would drill as deep as possible to see if, if comedy is just uh, – uh, life jacket they're trying to grab at the last second as they're drowning or if they ask, or did they plan on getting in a boat and going somewhere? Do you know what I mean? So it can be easy to pursue distractions. You know, all of us fight that every day, especially as entrepreneurs. There's, there's always the new idea that, oh man, as soon as I get done with this, I'm going to jump on that and you end up not finishing this because you're distracted by that. And that can be dominoes that fall year after year after year. You don't want comedy to be just one of those things. But what I would say across the board is, before you start comedy, what are you willing to give up time-wise? Because to do it with any kind of focus at all, even as a beginner, I'm going to ask you right away to give up 10 hours of your week. Where are those hours coming from? Is it going to be – for me, there was years where I had projects going on, and you said, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give up the NFL for two years. I'm not going to follow it. I'm not going to be watching Monday night games, Sunday all day long. And I was able to accomplish some big goals that I had, but I, I had no other place to find those hours. I was already on the road traveling. I was already doing – shows but i needed to find that extra time so what do you currently have and it might be something that's more important to you than watching the nfl or watching your favorite tv shows but can you give up 10 hours a week right now to to start writing and thinking about it and getting ready to perform if you can't do that i would say just go to the open mic and support people just (laughs) be a fan of it um maybe enter a contest one time just to get it out of your system but if you were willing to put that 10 hours aside then i would say here's here's the first step in towards getting into comedy is before you even write jokes, write down what's important to you. I would write down sentences that start off like, I love, I hate, I can't stand, I can't, uh, I can't wait to understand, I'm not sure why this happens, and, and really write down what's your internal monologue going through day to day. And I'd also write down what happened today that changed your mood. So were you, did you wake up happy and then all of a sudden at lunchtime you were cranky? What, what made that happen? That's probably something that's, happen to other people. So if you write jokes around that, they're not only going to listen to it because it's happened to them, but they the way you put the spin on it, maybe you found a solution that maybe they could apply as well. So not that every comedic bit has to be a, a solution to a problem, but usually comedy is based around unsolved issues and problems. So I would start inside, journal that out for a couple of weeks, and then I would go back and start looking at those individual statements and seeing where you could take them from there. And I, I can get into structure and premise and all that kind of stuff in a second if you want, but 
the first thing I would do is give up 10 hours and I'd spend those 10 hours journaling and getting stuff down on paper. And I think that's true for anything that you want to accomplish. And that's one of the, the similarities I always talk about is, is uh, early on, I'd probably done like, I don't know, 12 open mic nights. And there was this comic, I went to this outdoors Monday night event and they often had to cancel it because it rains sometimes in Austin. I know rarely, but uh, this particular night they weren't predicting rain, but like a half hour before a storm formed and, and boof, we got rain. So they canceled at the last minute, but I was already there and there was this young guy and I always remember his name's Jim, uh, James Kerrigan and super nice guy. I've gotten to know him a little bit since then. Local comic here in Austin does some touring and uh, he said, is this what you're looking to do? And of course, you know, I'm in my fifties and he's in his twenties and I said, no. And I said, but I'm learning a lot from it. And I said, I, I realize it takes a lot to get good. And he said, how many open mics have you been to? And I forget the number, but I think I said 17. And he goes, in how long? And I said, about four months, tw- you know, about 20 weeks. And he said, yeah, I've done 17 open mic nights this week. And I think the people who are serious about it are getting the stage time. They're putting the time in. They're showing up. They're they're trying new things. They're doing these things. Whereas if you're doing an hour a week, you're never going to get good. But my analogy is, yeah, that's comedy. But that's true for your business too. I mean, if you're starting a startup or you're uh, you know launching a company, if you're not in, it's really hard to do. That's why we hear a lot in the world of entrepreneurship about having a side hustle. And I think side hustles are great. I've always had something going on beyond what I do for a living, even when I worked in corporate America. But my speaking career never took off until I got laid off and my side hustle became 50 hours a week. And then pretty quickly, it became like, oh, I can pay the mortgage as a professional speaker. I never, I, you know, I was waiting till I could bring my salary up. It never got there because I wasn't putting in, in the reps of the, the total dedication. And I think that's one of the things I learned from the comics. If you really want to do it, you got to be all in. You got to be on it and you got to be purposeful about it too. Like you, you could take the 17 open mics that you had done at that point, but if you'd done the same thing at all 17 without adjustments and without trial and error and tweaking and, and writing new material in between and replacing what didn't work, you wouldn't have seen any benefit different from the 17th to the first. And, and I, I see that with businesses. I see that with businesses that fail, especially they, they thought they had an idea that even, didn't even test the idea. It was just an idea they thought they had that was going to catch on and it didn't. And you'll appreciate this. And I'm sure your listeners who listen to a lot of entrepreneurial talk, they talk about the minimum viable product, the MVP. You're familiar with that term, right? Oh yeah. So the comic has the ultimate laboratory for the MVP. If you were thinking about getting into comedy, you might have a five or maybe you have a 15 minute story that you want to tell the first time you have 15 minutes on stage to tell it. Well, the audience a, you haven't made what our friend Ed Rigsby called as a, a relationship deposit. You haven't bought into them at all. And you're asking them to sit back and listen to a total stranger go on a rant and a story for 15 minutes. Ridiculous, right? So when I talk to my new students who are learning how to do comedy or, or friends that are trying it out is get the nugget of the idea. Go ahead and write the whole story down. Always write as much as you possibly can. But if you're going to try to memorize that 15 minutes, it's not going to work. You're not going to remember every single word. Even if you tell the story a million times, you're going to leave stuff out and get frustrated. Boil it down to what am I trying to say? If I had to tweet out this entire story, what is that? Can I write that in 140 characters? And if you can, that's probably your premise for your joke. The whole story has been boiled down into the bare essentials, and you can build off of it and spin off of it from there. So – you can tell pretty quickly as a comic, 
your friend that does 17 open mics a week. That's kind of when I started, there was about 12 open mics a week um, between Sunday and Thursday. And then if you had a chance to go on the road, you had those gigs. So I would start off every Sunday with some new material and I would try it at the, did three open mics on Sunday, six, eight, and 10. And by the third show Sunday, I kind of knew how to say it out loud. I haven't maybe got to the funny part just yet. And then my Monday did two or three that night, started fine tuning the first punchline and the, the taglines that come after it. And really quickly after 12 open mics, you kind of knew whether that was a joke that you had a grasp on yet, that people were buying your minimally viable product is your joke. And if they're laughing, that's a sale. And if it wasn't, then I might try it for another week, slightly different and keep working on it. But if it failed after two weeks, I'm not going to keep working on that. Right. I'm going to put it to the side. Maybe it's a great joke, but I'm not a great communicator yet. I'll come back to that notebook in a year or so. Can I rephrase it or can I see from my developed comedian mind what was wrong with it and why it didn't work back then? Well, and I, I think you're right. You're right on this because I think that that's true in companies too, right? It's like if you're just doing the one thing, you know, you got to be tweaking it. You got to be testing it. How are people relating to your product? How, how is that happening? As a, as a speaker, you know, that's not only true that I have to do that on stage, but as a marketer. You know, it's like, who is TomSinger.com? You know, if you're a meeting planner, well, you know, I have to go in and change the verbiage from time to time and I have to tweak it and I have to see. And if, if I'm getting more reactions because I traded, changed something, then I need to do more of that. If my numbers start going down and people are ignoring me, I got to go back to what I had before or, or come up with something entirely new. So I think that, that you're, you're right. And a big message of what I teach is try new things. And it's come out of this research that I've done for the past almost three years uh, about people and potential and the people who are really achieving, one of the things they tell me is, is I try things. And that I'm seeing in the world of comedy is, is that, you know, if you were to, to see someone like Paula Poundstone, who we talked about on your podcast when you interviewed me, you know, if you had seen her in 1983, she's not doing the same thing in 2020. And yet she's yeah. still doing comedy because you have to evolve. You have to try new things and you have to change as you grow and change as a person and as an entrepreneur. Yeah, if you think about just companies that are still around they might not be as big as they were but they're still relevant you look at the car makers 20 years ago if you would have told ford or chevy or you know toyota any of those companies you know in 20 years basically what you're going to need to do is put a cell phone on wheels so people can look at screens call people and have internet in the car basically you're you're just a device with wheels you know, maybe somebody at one of those car manufacturers was on the ball and said, yeah, you're right. But realistically, they had to learn how to adapt and change every single year. And then not only adapt and change their product, but looking at the other competitors, the Teslas and the other things and saying, well, what part of that that people desire can we put into our automobile? You know, what part of their, you know, culture has worked for them that maybe we can adopt a little bit of that so that we can, we, so that as employees and, and business owners, we know what we are besides just the product. Who are we behind the product? You know, a lot of people have their favorite um, companies they buy from because they, they donate to a specific cause or that they're eco-friendly or that or whatever. You know, as speakers and comics, if we have a, a second layer or a second gear, that makes us stand out as well. So there's there's all those different business crossovers between comedians, companies. Are, are comedians evolving and changing? The big thing I've seen in the past five to six years really with comics is you you don't just have the stage for people to get to know you the podcast that comics do you know just your personal brand just you riffing on monday mornings or whatever it is 
is something that almost is necessary for a certain level of comic to go from club to theater to theater to Madison Square Garden, like guys like Sebastian Maniscalco has. Being on podcast and, and being around your your customer, if you want to call it that, or your audience when you're off stage is equally as important now. And that's extra work. And not all the comics that I started off with are willing to do that. And they're maybe fading out a little bit. So that brings up the next question. That's kind of a perfect segue. So I, I do this study and I, this is what I work with my clients on is how do you get people in teams across the gap that is real? It exists between potential and performance or potential and results because you know, lots of people start companies and people are like, wow, she's got a great idea and she's got funding and she's got this. And then two years later, the company's shuttering its doors. Well, how come it had so much potential? Well, because potential doesn't mean anything without action. Potential doesn't mean anything if you don't get the actual results happening. So I ask people who come on the show all the time, why do you think some entrepreneurs, and I'm going to flip this around and we're going to talk about comics, but normal question is, why do you think some entrepreneurs get farther across that gap between potential and performance and others fall into the gap. So let's use comics as the analogy. You, you mentioned a couple of people who have, you know, a lot of people have potential. When you get out of the open mic night circuit and start being asked to do even local shows, you have some potential because some booker said you suck less than the average person at open mic night. And then some people go from featured shows to, you know, uh, theaters to, you know, Madison Square Garden to, you know, Netflix and and things like that. How come some people get farther and other people just are stuck in open mic nights. You know, for comedians specifically, there's a lot of potential, to use your favorite word, potential intersections that come from performing. And the reality is some of the funniest people we both know and everybody listening knows aren't household names, even though they are truly funnier than the people that we see constantly on Netflix releasing new specials. And, you know, and, and so part of that is, I think for comedians, something that's very important for agents and managers, booking agents, those types of folks to notice in you is that you can consistently write. So all the people that are that we know of can either write or have such a defined point of view, they can have writers to produce the shows, to produce the content. You know, Jeff Foxworthy had an established point of view, one of the one of the best in comedy ever, whether you like his style coming up, but you might be a redneck if really anchored him in a, a culture of people who knew exactly what to expect when they came to see his show. So defined that he could have writers help write the next one hour and help produce the next special, you know? So having a defined point of view is super important for a comic, but then also taking not even overly calculated chances, but taking almost every opportunity you have when you first start to get to know the other comics to understand how a show works. Here's one of the biggest things that sets some of those people back that don't make that crossover is they're only focused on themselves and not the bigger picture. So when a comic starts, you know, they do open mics. Eventually they might get to MC at a comedy club. The next step up in the comedy club is feature work. And the next step up is headlining. So to be able to MC, you have to be funny, but your main job is to work for the comedy club and provide information to the audience to get them focused, and then to bring up the next comedian. You might want to be the funniest person in the room. And if you do that as an MC and you're capable of doing that, the show is going to tilt. All of a sudden, it was funnier at the front half, not in the middle and not at the end. So there are times when a, a more established comic gets asked to host, and they've got the skills to blow the room apart 
but the more established comic knows that this night is important to build as it goes. So understanding what your client, in the case of the house MC, it's the comedy club, the feature works for the headliner and the headliner works for the audience. That's the kind of the way the mentality is in the comedy club culture. Companies the same way. If you don't understand who your client is, um, you're not able to con- put together the right product for them and separate yourself from the competition. Same thing with comics. So, the, like Sebastian, who just sold out Madison Square Garden, I don't know if he did four or six nights, which is an incredible accomplishment. You know, he really anchors himself in being an Italian. And it really has been since Andrew Dice Clay that there's been that voice. And oddly enough, Sebastian opened up for Andrew Dice Clay for years, you know, just being his, his regular opener at these gigs that he was doing. But comedy is cyclical. As people get older and they're no longer the voice for that generation or that voice for that culture, there's opportunities for new people to step in. It's not to say it mean you could say, hey, let's just go say we're Italian, <laughs> write a bunch of jokes and wear the leather jacket, and we can do what Sebastian did. But he was the right guy at the right time with an incredible amount of work done in advance. So when the opportunity hit, he was more than ready. Mm, gotcha. So all of us just need to put in more work and, and be more ready when the opportunity does strike. Yeah, I mean, what I took from what you said was understand the business and do the work. And I think that translates to all of us, no matter, no matter what we do. Hey, Rick, I've got more questions for you, but before I can do that, I have to thank the sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. Podca- Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. They do all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Rick Roberts. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. And I say it all the time. They're the best vendor I've ever worked for in all of my years in, in business. They are the best vendor they produce this show. They have since episode one. And I don't think this show ever would have happened if I hadn't found them. They've been great to work with. So if you want to start a podcast, work with Podfly. Hey, Rick, before I get into the kind of the last questions where I usually close it out, you've built a career in clean comedy. What does that even mean? <laughs> you know, a friend of mine sums it up this way. He says, a clean comic gets paid for what not for knowing what not to say. And that, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> you know I mean? but, but I don't think you have to say any more. That just summed it up. No. Keep going. No, it's it's true. Like uh we think our job is 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 what we say, but sometimes just knowing what what to pass on for this particular environment, or this particular gig, or this particular client. Um and I and I would almost put in there this particular day and age has so many external pressures. I mean we we see comedians blowing up right and left right now because for the first time in history, every show is being secretly recorded by somebody and one tiny phrase can be taken out of context and blown up. And before the comic even has a chance to respond to it, the amount of momentum going the other direction is so strong, you know, it has ruined them. So for a clean comedian, you know, to me, this is the way I look at it is, and there's, let me say too, there's also a difference between clean and family friendly just so people understand that a, a clean comic can be uh, universal kids could be in the audience. Uh, grandmas can be the audience. Hardcore bikers can be the audience and the show is still going to be funny across the board. A family friendly comedian might be more like 
a comic who is not offensive to children, but also has a couple of things just for the families in their audience, just maybe a little mini game show. They bring up comics and or comics bring up the families and their kids on the stage or things like that. So I, I can do both, but I'm anchored heavily in the clean comedy thing where it's, it's funny comedy for adults with topics interesting to adults or that adults are going through. But I always say comedy club funny church clean meets in the middle. And for me, that's clean comedy. Well, and, and, you know, a lot of corporations, not all, but a lot of corporations look to, to bring somebody in. And I'm actually having clients now who know that I'm in this world of comedy, even though it's just my big toe in the water are asking me to help source people to maybe do a show after their cocktail party, or could I host, you know, sort of an open mic night with some of their people and they're going to bring in a comic. And so I'm in the process of actually negotiating with a couple clients, you know, yes, I can do that. And I'm like, ah, what, what does this mean? Um, but in that corporate world, one of the things that's interesting is that uh, a lot of, a lot of the meeting planners are actually scared of comics because they brought comics in before either to do entertainment or they brought them in to be the MC. And maybe they've had trouble relating with the audience. So then they go to what they know works for them, which might be their comedy club funny. But that doesn't work in a corporation because maybe it's crossing a line of sex or religion or race or politics. And all of a sudden they've offended somebody. And so a lot of people are scared of touching comics. So I get some questions from clients like how, how do we even source people like that? So so where is this world of, of corporate clean comics? Where, where are they hiding? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, they're not hiding. They're looking, looking to be hired for sure. But the, the reality is, if you trace it back to the root of that whole problem, like where can we find these guys and, and why did it go wrong? Uh, and I'm not blaming event planners at all because I know they've got a full plate. But if the only reason they hired somebody that didn't do the job is they didn't thoroughly research the comic they were going to hire. And maybe they don't have time. And, and back in the day, they were going completely on you know referrals because there wasn't a YouTube and it wasn't a web presence. There wasn't a Twitter and a Facebook. But if I was a client and I was looking at hiring three different comics, I would instantly follow them on all their socials. I would dig deep into their YouTube and watch. And if there was one, even one video where I'm like, man, if they do that joke at this event, I'm tanked. You know, or if you see a consistent thread of behavior or anger or whatever, that's not what you're trying to cross that comic off the list, move to your other two. Look at those two, see which one would best serve your audience and your, your group. So if there was a, one, you know, speakers bureaus do a pretty good job of filtering out the comics that wouldn't be right um, and that also can speak and be professional. Comedy clubs will be the, the worst place to call to get your comedian <laughs> because I, and I, I've seen it happen. And it's not every single comedy club, but a majority of them. If, if whatever the gig pays, the comedy club is going to take 50 to 75 percent of that. Call up a comic who is not ready but available because they're not doing a lot of gigs and say, can you clean it up for 30 minutes? You know, it's going to pay you more than your whole weekend seeing here, which isn't much at a comedy club. The club's going to take all the money, give you a subpar product, and they don't care if you call back again because it's not what they focus their main efforts on. So, you know, guys like Tom who work around clean comedians and see that, he's a good resource. I'm always happy to recommend people, and I only recommend people that I've seen in action. You know, if I've seen them do an hour, then I can recommend them to do an hour. If I've seen them do 15, I can recommend them do 15. If I've seen them do 30 and it wasn't right, I can't recommend them at all. So really digging into your source of, of who they are and what they do beforehand will save you a lot of headaches later. Well, that kind of doubles the second thing I was going to ask you about. And that is so, you know, I've been around sort of my local comedy scene for a while. And all of a sudden people are starting to find out what I do for a living. 
And some of them are rolling their eyes like, you got to be kidding me, you know. And others are like, uh, I heard there's money in corporate. And so they're asking me questions. And one of the things that I'm saying is, is that if, I don't think you can live with your feet in both camps. If you're, if you're a kind of a raunchy comic and you've got videos that are raunchy, I don't think the meeting planners want to touch you. And so, you know, like a comic who says, I, I want to go corporate and, and do, you know, corporate clean comedy, what advice do you have for the comic? If they're really 100% into that and there's no backing, that's the that's 100% what they want to do. I would say first I would go look at all of, all of your online content right now and delete anything <laughs> that doesn't doesn't fit what you're going to be trying to do cuz people are digging in now to what your past is like and what your comedy is like. So that's number 1. And then I would immediately start performing even at open mics in my own town as a clean comedian. I, I wouldn't try to lead the double life because you're going to be, you're always going to be thinking of jokes that you can't really tell in certain situations. As humans, we do that. As comedians, we do that even more often. I bet, I but, bet they do that in the Christian Comics Association too. I bet they think of the joke. They just don't use it. Well, we actually talked at our last conference about we should have a night. Everybody <laughs> puts their cell phones in a safe. <laughs> we close the doors. And we call it jokes we really can't tell. And we tell the jokes to each other just because to acknowledge that we all have the same fight, the inner battle of trying to stay clean. And, um, and I always say, go ahead and write the joke down, whatever it is. You'll learn from the writing process how to write a better, cleaner joke later. But, yeah, for anybody that's really serious about getting into it, I would, I would start living that life now and being ready for it when the opportunities come up. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't pursue the gigs till I had a true hour mm-hmm. of clean – comedy and then i would look at the clean and say you know it's clean but the content you know that almost every comic out there that works road has a drinking bit or a a joke Mm -hmm. about marijuana or these different topics that they're clean and certainly some companies would be okay with that but can you can you get rid of those what else what else can you put into that five minutes that might be well i would always look at everything you write is will this be a good clip on youtube that will help sell my brand so if you're not doing that when you're writing um, you're already selling yourself a little bit short. Yeah, and that's one of the things I'm trying to do with my comedy is, is I, I had some drinking jokes and I had some stuff. I mean, I don't have anything filthy. It's not like people would go like, oh my God, Tom. But uh, you know, I don't, I don't post it because it's really not what I do for a living anyway. But uh, what I am trying to do is learn to write some what I call corporate-friendly stuff. And that's kind of my year two now in this game mm-hmm. is, is I'm, I'm trying to learn uh, to do that. Not that I want to take gigs away from you. If someone wants a corporate comic, I'm sending them to Rick Roberts, but I want to yeah. be able to have that sort of as part of my, of my stuff that I can mix in, especially, you know, this one client said, Hey, it'd be fun to have a comedy night. Could you MC it? And, you know, I'm like, yes. And then of course I, d- I did the open mic night, you know, th- this week and it was a disaster, uh, not <laughs> yeah. because of me, but I mean, we, we, it was a new venue. The sound system wasn't right. The room wasn't really set up right. And it was just, it was, it was a hard evening for me. I felt like I'd been through a prize fight. Uh, that being said, I came home thrilled because it was hard and I did have to keep the energy up and try and keep people engaged. And I don't know that I did a good job, but it was fun because it was way out of my comfort zone. But I thought, wow, if I'm ever going to say yes and do this for a client, I got to up that game too. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of learning to all aspects of it. You know, the being able to be funny and, and be funny on demand and, and at a I mean, within five seconds, knowing you need to say something funny and get it across to your audience is, is the skill set that a comedian has. And then the skill set of the MC is also to serve the entire show. And, and 
when one comic drops the ball a little bit and they're not funny, you need to be able to pick up the energy, whether it be, and, and you just kind of start knowing from years of experience, this audience just needs 10 seconds of hilarious and we can introduce the next person or wow, we need three minutes of top notch comedy to get this whole train back on track. Which is and, really the same as being the master of ceremonies for a large corporate event. I mean, that's what I do and have done for years is, you know, sometimes after a speaker, you know, I come out, it's real short. Sometimes I come out and I do content because, I, you know, I can tell where the audience is. Uh, so, but it's a different, it's it's a different type of content to do it in comedy. It's a whole, it's a whole different ball game. Yeah. You know, as, as the MC in a corporate setting, you know, you've got those stories and those those tools and those things to get the crowd engaged and thinking. So as you develop your comedy, you'll find recurring situations in your speaking and MC events that you could write a joke for. Mm-hmm. And and I'm I'm working on a kind of a, a master class for speakers and and presenters and people, even CEOs that need to speak to their organizations on a you know at least an quarterly basis that want to kind of jazz things up and be specifically funny for a reason in order for them to accept the takeaway or the the new thing that we're doing comedy can can kind of wrap those things so they're more digestible and and the more you develop the skill set for dropping those things in on purpose and the more times you recognize those opportunities my favorite thing is writing jokes at open mic nights that I can use in my corporate event. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll take stories in my corporate event and make a funnier version of those from stand-up. So you've got the ability right now kind of swimming in both waters to develop content both ways, which mm-hmm. is an exciting place to be. Well, you bring up something else. You said you're working on a master class. One of the things you do is you have the School of Laughs. And while I have not taken a class, because you do them weekly in Nashville, and while you, you refer to these people who fly in to take your weekly class oh, in Nashville, uh, I don't have that kind of money, and uh, so I don't fly to you every week. If you did like a weekend intensive, I would come. But uh, tell us about the School of Laughs. Yeah, so I started maybe 2012 or somewhere around there. When I moved to Nashville from Ohio, uh, the guy that ran the comedy club was a friend of mine, and he said, boy, I, w- I would love if you could teach a class to these open mic comics because we got people walking out of the show. It's only 10 minutes in, and somebody's up there dropping an F-bomb, and it's just not, you know, they have no structure. They even know where the punchline is, and it's just – and I said what all comics do initially is I can't teach anybody how to do comedy. I said, that's you either got it or you don't. And he said, well, when you first started, did you have it? I said, oh, I did not have it. He goes, you got it now? I said, I got it a little bit of it now. He goes, well, teach him what you've learned in those first 10 years of, of developing your comedy. And he actually challenged me to watch a video of my set, and every time they laughed, pause it, and then write down why they laughed. Not just the punchline, but why that punchline was funny. And when I started doing that, I realized, yes, you can teach people what triggers a laugh and then teach them how to write those lines and then show them where they go and show them the, the premise set up before that to make it all work. And so that's what I've been doing with the School of Laughs. Teach it here in Nashville on and off again. You know, Probably three times a year I'll teach a series of writing, performance, and business class around comedy. What's excited to me the most here lately, though, is I'm partnering with, with a couple of uh, folks to put together kind of a comedy master class. And, and we're going to have one in Dallas. So that might be one you can get to if you live there in Austin. And we'll have one here in Nashville, uh, both of those probably before this time next year. And it'll be for people that already have content, that already have an audience. What they lack is implementing comedy because they don't have the confidence or the knowledge of where to put it and how to execute it. And we'll be looking at specific places in your speech program, 
company address, whatever it might be, where you can get people to know, like, and trust you, which we all need to do to sell something, whether it's an idea or a product, through properly placed comedy and mm-hmm. comedy that's written well. That's, so I'm, that's awesome. I'm even more excited to teach now than ever before with that. Well, you may have just answered the next question without me even asking it. So the next question really is, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. What's the coolest thing you're doing right now? That's the thing that's got me you know, waking up extra early in the morning to, to learn more and to, to restructure the, the content I already have, but also to develop new content just for that specific mastermind. Um, outside of that, I, I, my podcast is one of my favorite things to do. To, you know, that's how we connected, and that's how I get to connect with a lot of comics and, and really kind of digging into what makes, you know, where people get their drive. And then once you've driven there, what makes you put gas back in the tank? Because that's, I think that's the second level of frustration for entrepreneurs. They get a project, they get it going, they get a sale, they get a small company started. And then some are like, well, I'm, I'm fine with this. This is, I just kind of maintain this. But if it's a company, you can sell it. You can spin it off to somebody else. You could hire somebody to take it over, and you can do the next thing. I'm, I'm convinced that everybody that has something has something else. And not that we should jump to it right away, but every step of the way, at least in my career and, and everybody I've really talked to in depth, they did things. You did sales and marketing, but you didn't know at that time that you were going to be a speaker. And as a speaker, you needed sales and marketing, mm-hmm. and you could speak on it but you knew how to do the selling of that. And then as a speaker now, you know how to get in front of audiences so you're comfortable at 50 to become uh, somebody that dabbles in comedy. And as somebody that's dabbling in comedy, you're seeing ways to improve your speaking. So there's always yeah. that next step up the ladder that you can take. So That was yeah. sort of the interesting sort of aha moment is uh, after, like the thing was because I'm so much older, nobody in these comedy clubs or these bars when I go to open mic night locally or traveling, nobody would talk to me. And I'm, you know, I'm used to being at corporate events where people network and people always talk oh. to me. You know, it's, I always joke that at a corporate event, everyone comes and talks to me because I look like I could be the CEO's brother, right? I mean, I look like I stepped out of Accountants Today magazine. So, you know, I, I, but I've learned a lot about uh, inclusion and bias from being the outsider all of a sudden. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, it's been fascinating, but it took about eight months before locally uh, any of the comics started paying any attention to me. And the first time it happened was I kind of did really well at an open mic night. The next week, this group of three guys called me over to their table when I came in and they're like, yeah, so last week you were really good and we've been watching you for a few months. And, you know, it's kind of like who brought their dad, right? They're like, whatever. But yeah. Yeah. But they said last week you were really good. So we Googled you after the open mic and they go, oh my God, you're a professional speaker. And I'm just kind of smiled. I'm like, yeah, that's what I do for a living. And the one guy said to me, because I've been trying to figure it out. He goes, because you, you know, you were new. You weren't that funny. Your jokes, you didn't have structure yet. You're getting better. He said, but you had a really good stage presence. And he goes, that's what I'm trying to get where when I walk up there, I'm just comfortable. And he goes, I never could figure out why this old guy shows up, doesn't have funny jokes, but he looks like he belongs on stage. And he's like, now I understand it. And I'm like, yeah, that was sort of my secret weapon. Yeah. Isn't that funny? And you just use that comfort level that you've acquired over years and years to, to be ready, ready to have fun and ready to do your thing. And you asked earlier too about the gap that some people are able to cross and some people can't. And I, I wanted to say really quickly in that part too, it is the people that were able to cross it. were not afraid of experimenting and trying those new things out. You know, they're to me, and it took me about 12, 13 years into my own comedy career to realize that when 
when people don't laugh at a joke, it's not because they don't like me. Now, maybe they don't laugh at anything because they don't like me, but a specific joke doesn't work. It's because the joke didn't work. So when I go on an open mic night or a place where I'm trying out new material now, I'm not even part of the equation mentally. I am delivering a product to see if it's received. It's a laboratory experiment for me. And if I get any reaction, then I can tweak and change how I deliver that material the next time. And that's the way I felt about this open mic night that I hosted. It was it was a little bit of a train wreck. And part of it was me. I was, probably wasn't ready to be in that role for two hours. Part of it was the, the venue and it was dark and there were some other things. But I walked out. I, I didn't take any of it personally. It was this was I wanted to try this and I'm going to keep doing the mic. I mean, it's you know, it's it's mine as long as I want it, I guess. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. It, it, I don't take it personally. In fact, I'd rather bomb at an open mic night in a bar than I would as a corporate guy. So, yeah. Yeah, better to, better to bomb where nobody sees you. Hey, as we, wrap, you. as we wrap it up here, I always ask people who come on the show, who do you admire in the world of entrepreneurship when you look out there and you say, wow, that person's doing the cool stuff? You know, this is going to be a kind of a weird answer, but when I was thinking about it, there's a guy here in town who he started this thing. It's kind of like School of Rock. It's called Rock Zone. And he started in this little strip mall. He, he bought this, you know, basic equipment, he was a you know, musician, but he, he kind of had kids now, and he wasn't going to go on the road anymore. And he started this thing called Rockstone. And, and my son, when he was seven, eight years old, went started taking classes from him and, and, and really enjoyed it. And the next thing I know, he's bought out the second space right next to him. And he, and he has uh, like almost like a rock zone junior for kids who are, you know, elementary school kids who, whose parents are working, but they need some place to go afterwards. And he started teaching them how to do music and getting their brains engaged after school. And the next thing I look, he's got three vans, Rock Zone vans. And not only is he having a place for these kids to go, he's got van service to pick the kids up after school <laughs> and bust them over to his place so he can serve those parents and those kids. How smart. The next thing you know, he's got three units, four vans, and he even has a, a Rock Zone cafe where parents, if they get there a little bit earlier or, or the, the kids are having fun, they want to stick around, they can stop and grab a bite to eat, a shake. And I, and I look at this, and this is one guy and his wife who saw a need in the community, served it, served it so well that it grew, served that so well it grew again, and now he's not only serving the community, he's serving kind of the school system in a way that he never even anticipated. So oh, that's cool. Just yeah, just in my local scene, I saw that, and, I, and he's even approached me about doing little comedy classes for kids and stuff. He's always thinking about what else can I provide for these families. And I, I just respect it and I admire them a lot. So that's awesome. So the last question I ask everybody is, I think as entrepreneurs, I think we're fortunate. And I think if you're fortunate, you got to do more than just rake the money in, as I'm sure you do as a comic, just a big rake and cash coming a big, in. A huge time. rake. I had to huge buy three rake. rakes last year. That's right. <laughs> You've got four <laughs> vans just to drive your money around. Right. But, but uh, you know, I think we have an, ob an, ob uh, an obligation and, and to find a way to, to, to help the greater good. So I love to ask the people who come on this show, what do you do to serve others? Yeah, a few different things. But the one thing that kind of grew out of, of doing comedy and being fortunate enough to do it is when I started the School of Laughs podcast, I started that because I had guys that were flying. I had a guy that was flying in from Houston three times, three Mondays in a row for three months in a row to take the classes. And I started thinking, this is, this is not completely necessary. I could put together a podcast to let people know how to approach beginning comedy. I mean, you found it. You, you're taking some of the things probably here from these comics that I'm interviewing, some of the lessons that I have, you know, the great thing for, for comedy, there's not a huge startup cost. It's not like you have to get angel investors to come in and these types of things. It's, it's 
get in your car and drive over there, right? And so the learning is the same way. You can jump on School Last podcast and some of the other comedy podcasts and kind of learn how does a joke work, you know, how do comedians get their material, how do they sort through it, even how do you define clean or corporate comedy like we discussed today. And so every week I'm interviewing people or, or giving insight into to what I teach for free because I think it was a gift that I was given. I'm happy to, to reciprocate and give it to other folks. For folks that really, really, really need some time and some focus, I can do these classes and they can you know, invest in their time that way. But for the folks that can't, the podcast is there, the blog is there, go get it. And the podcast is great for someone who's new to it. I, I don't know how long I was in it before I discovered it, but I mean, I listen to the podcast all the time and, and there's there's archives. I can't get through them all. There's a couple hundred episodes, but you know, I always, I'll binge listen to one or two at a time. And it is, it is a gift to the comedy community. And I tell these people, uh, who I meet, who, you know, especially if they're younger, that you know, you should binge listen to this podcast because he is giving a lot of value. So, so thank you from the bottom of, of of my comedy heart for that. Yeah, I love doing it, and it gives me a chance to connect with other comics, but also to give back, like you said. And it's, I get emails just like you get emails from your podcast listeners that are so encouraging, and they'll they'll tell me specific things like I, I listen to your podcast for six months, then I went and did my first open mic, and people are like that was your first open mic. And I'm like, yeah, I've been listening to this podcast and it gave me some tips on how to approach the first, you know. So there's stuff in there for every level of, of performer, speaker, comedian, open micer, you got it. Well, Rick, thank you so much for uh, being a guest here on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. If someone's listening and they're like, oh my God, I got to find out more about Rick Roberts. Maybe they want to uh, listen to the podcast. Maybe they want to take your master class. Maybe they want to subscribe to your online writing class. Uh, maybe they need to hire a clean or a Christian comic for an event. How in the world do people find Rick Roberts? If you're interested in, in comedy specific and how to get into it, schooloflaughs.com has links to everything we talked about, classes in the podcast. If you want to hire Rick Roberts, the speaker, to come and deliver an hour of clean comedy. Um, and as Tom mentioned, I'm a Christian comedian, so I also want to make clear I can do an hour in a church. I can do an hour in a corporate event. At church, I'm not going to try to sell you Amway, and at a corporate event, I'm not going to try to convert you. <laughs> um, they're, they're different approaches to comedy. But if you're looking for a clean comic, it's Rick, R-I-K, Roberts.com. You can find me on there, LinkedIn as well. And a per, as a person who spells Tom, T-H-O-M, I have huge respect for a guy who spells Rick, R-I-K. Yeah, and that was because there was all the domains were taken and all of the uh, uh, ASCAP and <laughs> and every, every professional association always already had a Rick Roberts spelled the correct way, so I had to make some adjustments. <laughs> well, no, I already, I already was T H O M by the time the internet came along. Although I, I added the H back in because everyone who's Tom for the most part is Thomas. And I've never understood why when you go from Thomas to Tom, you also take out the H. I, I just got rid of the ass. There you, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's about the level of my comedy. Yeah. Took, took Rick a minute to even realize it was a joke. <laughs> awesome, Tom. I'm glad to see those open mics are paying off for you. Hey, Rick, again, thank you so much. I hope our paths cross. Let me know next time you're in Austin. Um, we'll go hit an open mic together, and I'll get to see what a real comedy, comedian does up close. Uh, oh, that would be a ton of fun. So, And uh, for everybody who tuned in, I say it every time. Thank you so much for listening. If it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. Hopefully you liked the show. If there's something about it that resonated, send me a line. Send me an email. I love it when people reach out. Uh, you can find me at Tom at TomSinger.com. Remember, there's that H in there. And uh, also all the social medias at TomSinger. All right, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Rick Roberts. 
I know you're thinking, how is that possible? But we always <laughs> we always find someone just as cool as Rick Roberts. Uh, and we're gonna, so we'll be back in a couple of days. But in the meantime, go out there and try something new. Shake it up, tweak it, do something different. And while you're at it, have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.